All right, we're live. My countdown is going. This is All Things Unexplained. I'm Dr. Mounts. We're back again. We're a top 25 science charts podcast, at least some of the time. Find us on Venmo at Bigfoot UFO. We can't do this without you. And it's Dr. Lou tonight. We're so glad to be here. We were nominated for a People's Choice Podcast Award. Thanks to all of you. We appreciate you. Yay! Woohoo! Here we go. All Things Unexplained. Hosted by Dr. Mounts. Let's face it, we were always ready to roll without him anyway. <laughs> CJ Derringer. Ain't nobody perfect, right? And Smitty Neves. I've never planned out hardly anything my whole life. I just free ball. Featuring Cajun Man. I'm just old nobody, somebody looking for somebody. Okay, wow. That was super exciting. <laughs> I, I just have no idea what happened. We had a new little intro. Very cool, Tim. Nice work there. Though it threw me off. It was looking at me of the past. It was very different. Okay, welcome everybody to All Things Unexplained. We are so excited to have lots of people watching live with us. If you're listening to us later on on podcasts, thank you for joining. We have such a great show for you today. We have author of the new book, The Cosmos Explained, host of the podcast Into the Luniverse. He's an associate in astrophysics at the American Museum of Natural History, a professor, a talented singer, which we have proof of from earlier tonight, co-author along with Neil deGrasse Tyson and Robert Ariane of the book One Universe at Home and the Cosmos. And I think that's all the time we have for the show. So thanks for <laughs> It's Dr. Charles Liu. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure to be here. Yes, we are so thrilled to have you. And wow. What what a record you have there of all of the things that you've accomplished. We're grateful that you are joining us on our show. We've got lots in store for everyone tonight. Those of you that are joining us live on Facebook, we will be doing a section where we will take listener questions and give those to Dr. Lou or Chuck or Charles or however you would like to like to address them tonight. I'm going to go with Dr. Lou. Um, so please do share those comments and questions with us. And I've got Dr. Mounts with us here this evening. Hello, Dr. Mounts. And I've got Smitty Neves. Great to be back. It's good to be here. It's just good to have you with us, Dr. Lou. Oh, it's so nice to, to, to be here with you. Thank you. Oh, Dr. Mounts, you're, you're waving my, my book around. That's so kind. <laughs> yes. Tremendous book available on Amazon. We tried to make this book accessible to everybody. You see that the cover isn't like some fancy uh, thing, right? But uh, it's designed to be. Oh, you too, CJ. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it the the drawings, the art. Uh, it's all designed to tell people: look, the universe is not this foreign thing that's so far distant from us that we can't understand it we are part of the universe and the universe is part of us we are as cool and as ordinary and as mysterious as everything else in the universe be it a planet a star a galaxy or even the cosmos itself 
Yes. Honestly, you did such a good job of that. Truly. You told wonderful stories too. I felt like this is coming from the girl that cried in her freshman year of college in my astronomy final, because I just couldn't, I couldn't understand any of it. And truly I felt like I'm going to fail this exam. I left so Aww. defeated. And, and so I gave up on science altogether until later on in life. And I found a new yeah. love for it. But in this book, I felt like, okay, this is really broken down in a way that I sleep deprived children have sucked all of my brain cells away i can understand it and there's pictures on every page truly so that's great so what what inspired you to do this book in the way that you did well uh coincidentally it's kind of like the thing that inspired me was sort of what uh, drove you to tears in your astronomy class in college. Uh, on behalf of all astronomy professors, I apologize for having <laughs> done such a bad job <laughs> on behalf of all of us, right, of not conveying to you the wonder and the beauty of the cosmos in the way that you were able to receive it or wanted to receive it at that time, right? If we think about it, uh, you can get incredibly technical about the universe, right? Cosmology with nucleosynthesis and nuclear fusion and Schwarzschild radii of black holes and the first stars and initial mass function. I could throw huge amounts of technical information at you, but you wouldn't get the story of the universe from its beginning to the present day and beyond. To me, telling the story was so important. And so when we had the opportunity to say, look, uh, this, this wonderful publisher, Ivy Press, who came to me and said, what kind of story about the universe would you like to tell? They were thinking about like a history, like a timeline. And I said, I want pictures, but I want those pictures not just to be decorative or ornate. I want them to be scientifically accurate so people can learn about the universe, what we know about the universe and what we still don't know about the universe through pictures as well as through words, as well as through a timeline of history. All these things combined together. And so this was my way of trying to create a story of the universe that anyone could pick up at any point, right? In, in the chapters, you can learn one part of it, but overall you can learn the whole thing about it and enjoy it no matter what, and not feel like it's, you know, not for you, right? And you're saying, CJ, I, I want this to be for you, right? And for everybody. That was what inspired me to write the book in this way. Yeah. Well, you did a beautiful job. And I read the whole thing and I truly felt like I understood so much more than I have before. So thank you for doing that. And you did do it on a timeline. And one thing I noticed was, you know, chapter one was what negative. <laughs> what second were we at in chapter one? <laughs> like. Ten to the minus 43 seconds I love, after the big. Bits. I love chapter one. The yeah. first quadrillionth of a quadrillionth of a, quadrillionth of a second. Of a second. <laughs> yes. So yeah. a lot happened then. And then you jumped to yes. five minutes after the Big Bang. And then we jumped to 400,000 years after the Big Bang. So what would you say in that time from five minutes to 400,000 years? What is the most important thing for people to understand that happened in that span of time? It is that the universe was expanding. See, when we try to compute time in the cosmos, one of the most intuitive ways to think about time is measuring how much the universe has expanded since time equals zero, right? The Big Bang, the moment that time began to run. And as a result, the expansion of the universe is an increase in space as well as in time. Uh, it's still expanding today, 
and it continues to do so. And that's why we can keep track of cosmic time the way that they do. So during that time, nothing, say, exciting is happening, right? We picked five minutes because that's the time when the first atoms are forming. They're not even neutral atoms. They're atomic nuclei and electrons and light particles, photons, that are swirling all around one another. But between five minutes and 400,000 years, what happens is that the universe expands enough so that the light and the matter, the massive stuff like the hydrogen nuclei and the helium nuclei can actually start to move independent of one another, something we call decoupling. And when that happens, that allows gravity to start doing its thing in the universe. That is making things like planets and stars and eventually plants and people. And it allows the light to stream across the universe so that we can see what is going on on other parts of the cosmos. That light imprint from 400,000 years ago is today, we, know, we call it the cosmic microwave background radiation because it used to be as hot as the surface of the sun, but now it is so cold that we actually sense its temperature through AM radio. It's that cold. So that's the kind of thing that happened, that transitional period between when matter and energy were all interlocked and kind of dragging on one another to the time when they began to stream freely of one another and allow for the rest of the universe to be built. Wow. Awesome. You know, Dr. Lou, yes. something that I had a hard time wrapping my brain around and throughout the entire book, it kept coming back to me like it's honing my nightmares almost, is at the very beginning of the book, at that first quadrillionth of a quadrillionth of a second, you say that there was a singularity, zero density, an infinite volume. And I just find that so difficult to comprehend. Right. The, the idea of a singularity, you know, infinite and uh, zero volume, has a circumstance. Uh, it actually is rooted in, in math. Uh, in, in true physics, originally, hundreds of years ago, there was really no way to imagine something like that, that has, has, has no size, and yet actually has some sort of mass, which means that it, it is infinitely dense. And mathematicians, hundreds of years ago, started thinking about this, I'd say around the 1700s. They're like, you can actually create a circumstance on a math page where you can have that kind of singularity, but you can't do it in real life. So there was a lot of mathematical theorizing and, and actually proofs and, and really careful calculations about how you can deal with a singularity in, in the world if one ever existed. No one thought of one ever would. But then we realized that they could because Albert Einstein's general theory of relativity explained that space isn't just a sort of emptiness in which stuff exists. Space is actually its own thing that grows and can also thus twist and bend and warp, kind of like a, a 3D version of a trampoline or a spandex swimsuit or something like that. <laughs> and if you can, if you can twist um, spandex, right, and, and or space time or anything like that, then you can make a singularity, and that's where your 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 first inkling that a singularity could exist um, could have happened. A couple decades after that, heck, not even, uh, within 10 years, uh, brilliant mathematicians were saying, hey, 
I recognize this bending stuff and the ability to make singularities. And in fact, it was a Belgian priest, a guy named Georges Lemaitre, uh, who came up with the idea, you know what? If the universe is expanding, then that means at one point the universe could have been so small that it was at zero volume, and thus it had to have infinite density, and thus it was a singularity, and so was born this idea. Um, uh, Georges Lemaitre called this the primeval atom. We today call it the Big Bang singularity. So is that just one of the theories of how the Big Bang could have could have happened? Because I recall reading something that you wrote about possibly um, two multiverses touching in creating our universe. Right. Uh, it, it, that's a great point. And this is where we're talking about that math now, right? Um, we, we, at one quadrillionth of a quadrillionth of a second, right, all the way to zero, even though it is a really small number of seconds, there's actually a really long way mathematically to actual zero, 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 right? So our physics really can only explain the universe starting from about a trillionth of a quadrillionth of a quadrillionth of a second after the singularity, all right? So the singularity itself, all the way down to that zero point, can only be explained mathematically uh, and therefore, we haven't been able to show whether or not that singularity existed uh, because uh, two five-dimensional universes actually came in contact, kind of like a couple of soap bubbles in your children's bath, right? And thus created a, a skin of sorts, which is a four-dimensional uh, space-time, which is our universe. Or if somehow there was something that existed, but then kind of blew up in size within some larger structure. Again, not a space-time like our universe, but some other structure with three or four or more dimensions, maybe 10 or 11 dimensions, things that we can't grasp in our daily lives, but can exist mathematically. And as with all science that's at the cutting edge, the challenge for scientists is to say, okay, these are hypotheses, these are uh, good ideas, and how can we confirm or falsify them? You know, whether or not they're true or false, we have to design experiments to test them. Up to this point, we uh, astronomers and physicists are pretty confident that we've been able to test the Big Bang theory to be correct all the way down to about a quadrillionth of a quadrillionth of a second after the Big Bang. And then all bets are off. There's where that multiverse thing can happen. There's where that strange multidimensional thing can happen before that threshold in time. What's, what's, your, what's your favorite idea of what it could be? What do you want it to be? <laughs> <laughs> um, my favorite idea is the one that hasn't been thought of. Ah, yet. okay. Uh, I, really, I really think that people are onto this thing. Um, the the, the five-dimensional membrane connecting to create the four-dimensional space-time idea has been developed uh, primarily by Lisa Randall at Harvard. Uh, she and Balasundaram, I don't know where he is right now, uh, um, but they kind of built this idea where you could have these dimensions connect with one another and thus explain a lot of our uncertainties about our own universe. For example, why is gravity so dominant on large scales yet completely insignificant on uh, nuclear scales, right? Uh, so that's sort of where we are at the moment. I think uh, people are close to the truth. 
but there is something there that's still missing and people really recognize that even you know people like uh, Randall and Sundrum or all the other people who are working on things like uh, eternal inflation uh, Alan Guth's inflationary model uh, there is a uh, another uh, I'm just throwing names out don't worry you can go look them up <laughs> if, if you're interested but the bottom line is I think they're all kind of close they'll kind of like see different parts of the elephant but they haven't seen the whole mm. elephant yet so I'm waiting for that that thing that ties them all together waiting for the elephant okay <laughs> yeah. I like it. I like Stacy's yeah, comment here Listener Stacy David Severn says, I think I just learned that my bathing suit has infinite density. Mind blown. <laughs> Sounds like a problem, though. <laughs> uh, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> okay. I don't think it's a problem if you like to eat a lot. <laughs> oh, so in your book, you do um, everything on a timeline, you know, before, current, what's happening in the future. As elementary as you can, can you explain how scientists okay. and mathematicians date these events? How do they figure out when these things happened? Great, great question. Um, what we have to do is to figure out on a cosmic level how to translate the expansion of the universe to the seconds and hours and minutes that we're used to counting time with. And the way to make that connection, astronomers use a tool called redshift. Now, it turns out that the way the universe is expanding, it causes every spot in the universe to move away from every other spot in the universe. And as a result, if I measure something far away, uh, that means it's probably moving faster than something that's closer by on a cosmological scale. Um, the, an analogy I like to use is fireworks. Every time a fireworks shell explodes in the sky, it turns into a big, beautiful uh, flower kind of right away. That means that the things that got to the edge of that flower had to have moved faster than the stuff that moved in really close. So the expansion of a fireworks shell is like an analogy of how the universe is expanding away from us and distant galaxies or black holes are being carried along for the ride. So astronomers have spent almost a hundred years now trying to measure the relationship between how far away an object is and how fast it moves away from us because of the expansion of the universe. Once you get that speed, you can translate that speed into a distance and that distance into the amount of time it takes for light to go from that distant object to us. And from that, we can then get a number of years ago that it happened. So that's the indirect way we get all the way back to the Big Bang. Now, after the, the Earth forms, we have a new technique. Uh, I don't want to go too deeply into it, but it has to do with radioactivity. And that is a really nice way, right around four and a half billion years ago, when the Earth formed and the Sun formed, that we can start figuring out time based on uh, atomic clocks that nature has provided for us since our Earth was formed. Yes, awesome. so much. Thanks. For those that are just tuning in with us, we're chatting with Dr. Liu, author of the new book, The Cosmos Explained. Go pick up a copy today. I'm telling you, it is, it's beautiful, number one. It's very easy to understand. Every page has some sort of image. Available on Amazon. It's really great. That's where we got ours. 
gets to your house in two days. Also, the host of his own <laughs> podcast called The Luniverse, L-I-U, Luniverse. Into the Luniverse, right? Is it Into the Luniverse? The, the Luniverse okay. is, I think, the official title, but Into the Luniverse, people talk about that way, too. Okay. Um, I, I have to tell you that I didn't come up with that idea. <laughs> I thought the Luniverse... Um, it felt a little self-indulgent, but everyone else around me said, that's the obvious yeah, name for the I podcast. think it is. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> well, as long as other people like it. I thought you were going to credit Stan Lee for a second. Stan the man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am a true believer. So. Oh. <laughs> Face front. Okay, well. Fearless fans. I have uh, a... I was a comic book fan. A Are ago. you a comic book fan? Tim was wondering. Dr. Mouse was wondering. Big time. I mean, I could kind of tell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like, that could be a whole separate show, boys. Settle down. Settle down. We'll do another comic book show. <laughs> but I've got so many questions about the Avengers, X-Men, Spider-Man. Yeah, we definitely need to do that. I can see it happening already. It's spiraling. It's spiraling out of control. <laughs> Can't wait till all the universes are melded together. It's been set up now so that the... Uh... Next uh, TV shows can all like have X-Men and Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and the Avengers all together. It'll be fun. No Doctor Strange 2 spoilers. I know you've seen it. I haven't I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> um. But I do know I, I do know Wanda does I'm not going to I do know that, but I haven't seen it. <laughs> we we did a little a few shows on WandaVision. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Did you talk about the yeah. ship of Theseus? No, we did. No, not. did we? I loved that. the The best part, in my opinion, of the entire movie, television, podcast, whatever series so far, was the. Uh, dare we spoil this a little bit? I mean, it's been a little while, so I think it's go for it. Let's let's do it. Warning, warning, spoilers. Okay, when when the okay, spoiler alert in three. Two, one. Um, when the white vision is up against the the multicolored vision, and they're circling in the library, and they're trying oh, to talk yes. to one another, it, it, they present a marvelous dialogue, which I think is the very best dialogue, like I said, of the entire uh, franchise so far. And and the the person is trying to uh, the real vision or the the provisional vision is trying to explain to the white vision who they are, right? He says, you know, uh, I presume you're familiar with the metaphysical paradox, right? Known as um, the ship of Theseus in identity metaphysics. Yes. Right? And then the white yes. vision says, naturally, you know, the ship of Theseus is an artifact in the museum. <laughs> Over time, its planks of wood rot and are replaced with new planks. When no original plank remains, is it still the ship of Theseus, right? And then secondly, if that old wood is repaired and cleansed of the rot and reassembled, is that the ship of Theseus? And the two of them think and they say, both are the true ship. Neither is the true ship. It's amazing. It's amazing. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. <laughs> Total paradox. Uh -huh. we, can, we don't Should've have to hang around too much you. on this, but I... <laughs> My theory, White Vision is off to the West Coast to start the West Coast Adventures. That's just my theory. <laughs> well, uh, in the 80s and 90s, um, Vision, 
this is comic book stuff now. And again, it, I'm betraying my age and my childhood. And everything. But, but the vision uh, basically re- decides in his logic that it, it is appropriate for him to take over the world uh, because the world yep. is so terrible that he should just run the world. Uh, but then he eventually sees the error of his ways and self-destructs in order to save the world from uh, an evil version of himself, basically. And what is left is this sort of white version, a ghost-like vision. And that creature has to develop an identity and, and restore his love for Wanda and how to live and things like that. And the whole West Coast Avengers stuff, uh, that, that's all part of it. Yeah, the vision started the West Coast Avengers before he turned white because he had, that was part of his grand plan to take over the world. It was very interesting. He wanted to split the Avengers up so they couldn't concentrate and defeat him. Anyway, too much fun stuff. I'm so sorry. Went on and on and on. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Just so you know, we are all still waiting on Mephisto. Like, where, where's Mephisto? Yeah. What's going on here? But anyway. I'm, I'm waiting. I just kept thinking, any time now, Mephisto's jumping out, but it didn't happen. <laughs> well, Sorry, CJ. Me, nah, Dormammu is good enough. <laughs> All right, yeah, sorry. Um, please, please continue your questioning. I'm just speaking too far out. No, that's great, mate. You should come back. We need to come back and have a, a Marvel show. Yes, that would be awesome. Deacon out. Y'all are deacon out. It's awesome. It's great. It's great. Yeah, we, a Marvel show it is. It shall be. Okay, we're gonna circle back to the book. I feel like we got chest us. We'll table the uh, the Marvel comic talk for another episode because I I can see what's gonna happen already. It's gonna happen. Okay, so um, back to the book. Dark matter. Lots of discussion about dark matter. Lots of question about dark matter. Seems a very important piece to the puzzle of our universe. Do we know anything about dark matter other than we know that it must exist? We know what it's not. Does that help? We, we know it's sure. not <laughs> made out of protons, neutrons, or electrons, or literally any other particle we've ever discovered. We know that uh, the quantum mechanics of what we understand today, often what we call the standard model of particle physics, cannot explain the existence of dark matter. So. What's happening is that right now, experimentalists are trying to find exotic new particles. They've done all kinds of interesting experiments deep underground, both in Europe and in North America and elsewhere. They're trying to see if some particle could be found that could explain all this, and they haven't. They've only been able to place upper bounds on the existence of these things. They keep having to change and adjust. Their original hypotheses are, are proven to be incorrect. And so they're readjusting their hypotheses to try to understand it. All that we know is that we know it's not those things. But when we astronomers look out in the universe, it is totally there absolutely there. The, con- the existence of dark matter has been confirmed again and again and again with every galaxy, with every cluster of galaxies, with every large scale motion of the universe that's measured. We know more and more for certain that for every pound of stuff that are made up of protons and neutrons and electrons, there are four or five or even six pounds of stuff that are not. Wow. And yeah, it does. Wow. We're going to take um, questions later, but this one seems valid at the moment. Is dark matter the same as antimatter? Ah, great question. Dark matter is not 
antimatter. Antimatter is matter particles of the kind that we know exist currently, things like uh, electrons, for example, but with uh, the opposite electrical charge. So, for example, the antimatter version of the electron is called the positron. The antimatter version of the proton is called the antiproton. And we know, we have measured very carefully, and we are certain to, within experimental errors, that the dark matter out in the universe is not made up of things like positrons and anti-protons uh, anti and things like that. Okay, great. I agree, Trent. Smart people are <laughs> awesome. And smart people can sing, too. Dr. Lou, I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh, no. <laughs> because our, our next question is about black holes. Uh. And I've had this little ditty stuck in my head from your Instagram account. And I've literally been singing it to myself every single night. So would you sing us your black holes song? I, let, <laughs> let me first say, by the way, that... <laughs> Let me first say, by the way, uh, that, that this comment that smart people are awesome. Um, yes, it's true. But you know what? It's not smart people are awesome, too. In fact, the, <laughs> this is something I really like to get across. Smitty, thanks you. <laughs> you hear that, Smitty? We're good. <laughs> I do not consider myself a smart person in, in the sense that we people are all essentially as smart, like within a bell curve, we are all basically the same level of intelligence within some order of magnitude. There's no single human being that is so remarkably more intelligent than everybody else, you know, that we wind up having to uh, think of them as being on a different level. What, what we do instead is that we're just a little bit better at this, a little bit better at that. You know, I am maybe really better at thinking about the universe because I've been doing it for so long. But, you know, Steph Curry is better shooting the three point than I am. Right. <laughs> and and different people do different things better. And that's just sort of we're all smart in different areas. Uh, I think that's a really, really great way to put it. So so please don't think of this as as intelligence, but think of it as interest and and what I like to do and what I like to think about. And, and all of us are in that same boat. We really are. Dr. Lou, listener Willie M. wants to know, can you change a fuel filter on a 74 Plymouth without Google? <laughs> yes. um, not the 74. Uh, we, we owned a 77 Plymouth, well, Dodge Aspen, which is you know <laughs> uh, the version of the Plymouth Volare back then. So um, I can't do it anymore because that car is long since disintegrated. But that's a great question about, about the 77. And I can't do it, no. Um, okay, the song, Black Holes. Oh, yes. the, the thing that, the, the reason this song uh, came about, uh, CJ, and uh, you may know this already, but it's that a lot of people think that black holes are like these giant vacuum cleaners, right? They just sort of suck you in. Uh, and, and that if you come near them, uh, a regular black hole will come in and just like absorb you. It turns out that black holes actually are much more innocuous than that. They're, they're very pleasant, actually. If you stay far <laughs> away from them, they don't bother you at all. In fact, if the sun <laughs> were to become a black hole today, we would not suddenly be sucked in toward the sun. There would be other kinds of radiation things that go on, like our sunlight would be replaced by x-rays and things like that. But really, gravitationally speaking, uh, it won't cause us any more trouble than the sun does unless we get close to it. 
when we get into it, when we get to its event horizon, it's called, then they're stuck. Then that's your new home. You are not leaving. That's the inspiration for this song. And so that's why I, I take a cue and I thank Harry Belafonte for the, um, for the melody. And it goes like this. <laughs> Black holes don't suck, but if you fall in one, then that's your new home. No, want to join? Want to join? They don't suck. They don't suck. They don't suck. They don't suck. But if you fall in one, then that's your new home. Yes! Hooray! <laughs> Seriously, I like went to sleep last night and that was just going over and over in my head. So, black holes don't suck. Yeah, good job. Good job. If you get to the event horizon, you're stuck there. And I've heard Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson use the term spaghettified, spaghettified several times about once you enter a black hole. What does happen? Or at least, what do we think happens when you get to that event horizon? To picantin, 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 picantin. Come, all listeners, tune in to next time. You've been listening to All Things Unexplained. If you liked this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. If you would like to hear more All Things Unexplained, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our show depends on the support of listeners like you. To help keep us going, please be sure to visit patreon.com backslash allthingsunexplained. Our Patreon patrons get early access to podcasts as well as exclusive audio and video clips. Or you can find us on Venmo under the business accounts. Just look for at Bigfoot UFO. Additionally, you can support us at buymeacoffee.com backslash unexplained. If you can't get enough of us, go ahead and check us out at allthings-unexplained.com. A special thanks to our producer, director, sound mixer, editor, and the man who wears far too many hats. No, seriously, he wears a lot of hats. Dr. Tim Mounts. Without you, we couldn't keep the lights on. Thanks for listening to All Things Unexplained. Did we just lose everybody? No. I can hear you. <laughs> we definitely lost. Start intro. The intro is supposed to be playing.